Not long for Easter? Okay. <laughs> oh. Chocolate. Yeah, Pete, tell the truth. Doesn't take Easter to eat a bit of chocolate, does it? <laughs> for none of us. Um, you know, someone once said to me, in my church, we follow the calendar. In churches like yours, it's always Easter. And I was like, I wanted to say, ooh, always Easter in the calendar. But I didn't. I thought about it and I thought, it's not always Easter. But then as I thought about it, I thought, isn't that marvellous? We just can't stop celebrating what God has done. So if someone thinks it's always Easter here, hallelujah, hallelujah. As we approach Easter, I thought we'd focus on the kind of world that Jesus came to. The kind of world he came to and what was going on at the time. How did the people feel? Were they excited? Were they expectant? And how does that relate to us today? So I'm going to invite up two of our young people, Julianne and Mimi. They're going to come and... Right, right, all right. Oh, that's lovely, lovely. <laughs> They're only going to read today. <laughs> they are going to read our passage of scripture, which comes from Luke chapter 1, from verse 5 to 25. So if you've got your Bible, please join by reading along. If you haven't got your Bible, listen clearly. I was recently just reminded that when we read scripture, this is God speaking. And so we don't want to miss a word. So let's take it away, girls. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron, both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments and disgraced blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and burn incense. And when the time of the burning incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, he is never to take wine or any fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their God. And he will go before the Spirit, of, to, before the Lord and in spirit the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepare for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and, the wife is, and my wife is along the years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I have been sent to speak and to tell this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my word, 
which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. Thank you, girls. Didn't they do well? Lovely. Thank you. I love how Elizabeth says at the end, in these days, he has shown his favour. There is so much in this passage. There's probably a hundred or more applications that we can pull out. There's so much going on. There's Elizabeth, there's Zechariah, there's the time, there's the angel Gabriel meeting with him. He's in the holy place. There's, there's so much going on. We're just going to look at it in, in small chunks now and work out what kind of time this was. So in the time of Herod, king of Judea, this is the first bit, and this tells us politically, culturally, what was going on. Um, first of all, King Herod is not completely one of their own. He, um, he wasn't from the line of David. They were expecting a king who was gonna be seated on the throne and he would be from the line of David, but he was actually an Edomite. Now the Edomites were closely related to the Israelites, but they weren't 100% pure. They came from Esau. Do you remember Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers? Jacob stole Esau's birthright, and so Esau went off and did his own thing. And his descendants are known as Edomites. So he wasn't from the line of the patriarchs. He didn't come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those guys. They were the good guys. They were the pure Israelites. So they didn't like him. Worse still, he had been put in power by the Romans and they hated the Romans. See, the Israelites were living under Roman authority. They were not free. They were in exile in their own land. And um, they felt that, you know, what God had promised them, God had promised they were going to be this great nation. It, did, it wasn't looking like that at all. This was dark. These were dark times. Now, Herod, in addition, was a very capable leader. That's why the Romans put him there. In fact, lots of architectural accomplishments are credited to Herod. He did some great stuff, but he was brutal. He was paranoid. He was just a nasty, nasty piece of work. He was borderline insane. He was probably a sociopath. He married 10 wives who produced a number of princes who were all out to overthrow each other. He killed one of the wives and the mother-in-law. No, this is not a mother-in-law joke. He really did do it. <laughs> he killed three of his sons. That was Herod. And we know the story. We know just a little bit of Herod when we um, know the story of when the wise men came and said to Herod, they had come to worship a new baby king. And Herod just went crazy, didn't he? He ordered that all baby boys under the age of two be murdered. But, you know, according to scholars, that incident, which shocks us, if we think about it, was quite normal for Herod. No one was safe. Now, when we think about all that, we think, okay, that is so not like our world right now. Fortunately, whatever we think of our country, even if it's the government you, that's currently not the one you voted for and all of that, 
it's still a much better world, isn't it? When we think about it, there is a system, you have a voice, you know, hopefully uh, equal opportunities are practiced. We don't accept any form of discrimination. So we're living in a good, good country, right? Would you agree? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's worse. There's worse, yeah? Just this morning when we were praying, I was reminded of our brothers and sisters in countries where they're persecuted for what they believe. And they have to meet in secret. And uh, they have to be very careful. And they really take their lives in their hands. They risk their life to worship. So let's, let's just enjoy our freedom to worship. Let's never take that for granted. But we are living in a bad world right now. We are living in a dark world, aren't we? Um, the world has become very, very small. Something happens on the other side of the world and it affects us. It used to just be news, didn't it? If something happened far away, it was just news. It was just something to uh, pray for them and hope it passes quickly. But actually now it affects us. We can see it, can't we? Um, that, and, and that we're bombarded with bad news. It's like back to back, isn't it? We can't recover from one thing, something else is happening. And they seem to come, they seem to spring up really quickly and then they seem to go away really quickly and make way for another bit of bad news. We got no petrol, we got no lorry drivers. Now we can't, we're not gonna be able to pay our gas bills. We might have to cut the gas, cut the electricity. Someone told me to stock up on rice and beans because, you know, times are coming when we won't be able to buy much else. How are we going to cook it if we've got no gas or electricity? You know, we could be endlessly caught up in a barrage of bad news. But back to our time where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived, the worst thing is not so much Herod and all of that. The worst thing was that God was silent. They hadn't seen or heard or witnessed God's presence in over 400 years. Nothing. They were a people who were characterized by their relational God. You know, all the other pagan nations, their gods were statues and animals and all sorts of stuff. But the people of God, they had a real living God who communicated with them. Even if it was bad news, even if he was sending a judgment upon them, he was always communicating through the prophets, uh, through mir miraculous wonders, through manifestations, fire, smoke, hurricanes, earthquakes, the whisper. God was always in touch with them. But the last thing they heard from God was in Malachi 3.1, where it said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God made this wonderful promise, which filled them with hope and joy and expectation. And then nothing happened for over 400 years. No, thus saith the Lord. Uh, no prophets, no word, no miracles, nothing. Absolute silence. And this was not a generation who were living long. Yeah, we're not talking about people like Adam and Methuselah who lived for hundreds of years. The average life expectancy for these people of the first century was about 55 to 60 years if you made it to adulthood. Yeah. Infant mortality was very high. If you made it to good age, maybe 60. For some of you right now, it's like a bit close. <laughs> the, 
That's how it <laughs> Dog eat dog. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, 400 years of nothing. And so there was so much division. There were so many sects even, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the religious, the secular, the believers, the non-believers, all judging and criticizing each other. Reminds me a little bit of social media today, and I'm not joking here. You know, everybody on social media is entitled to an opinion. Isn't that nice? But watch what you say. Watch who you side with. Be careful. You will be bombarded with criticism and judgment. And it's become so nasty out there, hasn't it? Hatred, division, disunity. Not just within the country, nation against nation. Within families, even. Uh, within friendship groups. I've heard of friends that have broke, you know, broken their friendships over the vaccine or not the vaccine or Brexit. The Brexit vote started it, didn't it? Families that were so upset with each other. And it just seems that that's the kind of world we're living in. It might look different, but things are still quite grim in our society. Even with all the freedom and the democracy, things are difficult. It's dark. And you know what? Given what had been going on then, they had had these promises and Isaiah 600 years earlier, had promised that they would be a light to the nations and a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father and God had promised that out of that line, Jesus would come. A stump, it had been cut down, but there would be a shoot. There would be a branch coming out of that and nothing, nothing was happening. And many of them lost hope. Look at us, we're pathetic. We're not God's people. We're not chosen. We've been forgotten. That's how it would have felt. There's nothing worse than losing hope. And I mean really losing hope. You know, I've never been in that position, thankfully. Some of you may have, or you might have been really close. Losing hope where life becomes meaningless, where there is no purpose, no reason to get up, no reason to go to work. No reason to show kindness because it's all pointless. That's how it would have felt for many of them. And that's, that leads to serious depression. That leads to suicidal thoughts and suicide itself. If you want to get someone out of the pit of despair, give them hope. Hope is key. What does the dictionary define it as? The feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen, a feeling. That leaves me thinking, oh, it's kind of wishful thinking, right? A little bit, I hope so, hopefully. <laughs> Let's hope that happens. But the hope that we're talking about, God's hope is something else. It's not wishful thinking. It is certain, it is certain. Right, back to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Oh, my goodness. I hope you've brought your lunch because I'm still right at the beginning here. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> um, so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are described as righteous and blameless. They were good people. In our modern context, you know, a sweet old pastor and his wife. Duncan, Jill. <laughs> You know, getting on a bit. <laughs> oh, never mind, eh, Duncan? 
that's what they were. You know, he was a priest and she was from a line of priests, the line of Aaron. So the daughter and the granddaughter of priests, good people. They're described as righteous and blameless. Now, of course, they weren't perfect, but their heart was for God. Their heart was to serve him and minister to him. But the one thing, they were childless. Now, I know we could read that as, um, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Moving on. No, this was major. In that culture, being childless was something else. It was probably just as painful as it is today. Childlessness is a pain of its own. Okay, some of us have, I know, I've experienced it. I know what it feels like. But for them, even more, it came with gossip and whispers and accusations and all sorts because it meant that God was punishing you. If you couldn't fulfill the one thing he's asked of you, that is to be fruitful and multiply, then really you have failed. God has discarded you. He is displeased with you. And so it was a dark time for them. Corporately, as a nation, there's a national crisis going on. They are nobodies. They are a tiny portion of the Roman Empire. They have no freedom. But personally, I can imagine Elizabeth was dealing with this huge personal heartache. Unfulfilled dream. Oh, how she must have cried month after month after month for years until it was over. She was too old, couldn't have any babies. I'm not sure if any of us can relate to that. Maybe not directly. Maybe it's not about having children, but, you know, a disappointment. You expected something. You're like, Lord, I'm doing my best. I serve you. I, I love you. I worship you. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm giving my life to you. And something isn't adding up here. I'm having to deal with this heartache day after day after day. And that was Elizabeth. I bet she begged God can imagine she did. Tried to fill her days with other activities, but the longing and the yearning doesn't go away. Sometimes the longing and the yearning doesn't go away because God doesn't want to take it away. Because he's like, no, 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 we need that longing. We need that yearning because I'm going to do something with it. Just wait. So hard to wait, isn't it? <laughs> Just wait. Sometimes we have to remember that we are a little piece in an enormous puzzle but we want to be our own little puzzle, but we're not. We're part of this big, big puzzle, and we can't see what the puzzle looks like because it's not finished yet. God is finishing it. He's completing it. And a puzzle with missing pieces, not worth very much, is it? Do you know, during a couple of weeks ago, we found an old puzzle at work. It was of Princess Diana. Anyway, the receptionist who was bored, she said, oh, I love doing puzzles. She sat there for hours. She did this puzzle. It was a big one as well. And then it was missing three pieces at the end. <laughs> Boo, we binned it. <laughs> what are you going to do with a puzzle with, no, with missing pieces? And that's what is going on here sometimes. Sometimes it's like, Lord, why? Sometimes in our suffering, other people are encouraged because they see the way we deal with it the way we hold on to God with everything we got. And then we have this amazing situation for Zechariah. See, Zechariah was a priest, and as a priest, he would go and serve in the temple once or twice a year. His division were up, and it says that his name got pulled out of the hat. 
you know, they, they, they had this system called casting lots where they felt that God was directing it and whoever's name came up, they were chosen by God. And he got chosen. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity and some priests, their names never came up. But this once in a lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place and burn incense, which represented the prayers of the people. So he went ahead. The people were outside. They couldn't go in ever. And he was in there. And he has this incredible encounter with the angel Gabriel. Not just any angel, Gabriel, who said, I stand, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You know, he came with this magnificent message. Zechariah was terrified. They hadn't seen that. 400 years, it's been quiet, nothing. He's holding on to, holding on to it, but not because of anything God was saying or doing, or so it seemed. God was working behind the scenes, but they couldn't see it or feel it. And so he doubted. How many of us are holding on to promise? Yes, Lord, I will serve you. I believe in you. I trust in you. You are faithful. How many times do we sing? And I say this with all respect because I do it. You are good. You are good. And then doubt, shaky. I will not be shaken. I'm shaking like a leaf. That's the truth of it. There's somebody where I work, he um, recently was diagnosed with a stomach tumour. And uh, I work for London School of Theology. Everybody's a Christian, so it's wonderful. That's the place to be ill, because everyone's going to pray for you. <laughs> and um, so we prayed for him, and he was terrified. You know, he, he's a bit older, and he was worried about his age going against him and the surgery, and th then they postponed the surgery. So we prayed more and more and more. He was told that his tumour was about five centimetres big and they would probably remove 20 to 30% of his stomach. Anyway, when they went in, this thing had shrunk and they only removed 10% of his stomach and his recovery, like the next day he was up and about and walking and this, that and the other. And it's incredible. And it just, you know, we, all, we said to him, if you'd waited any longer, this thing would have been gone. But... <laughs> But it reminded me, a friend of mine years ago, she was found to have a cancerous kidney, and so they needed to go in and remove it. And we mobilized the world, because we got friends, Christian friends and family all over the world praying for her, and we prayed. We were full of compassion for her. You know, our hearts were broken. She was only in her 30s, and to have to go through this thing, and, and you know, some organs are just more dodgy than others if they get cancer. They can spread more easily and everything. You know, when they went in, they removed the kidney, and then they analyzed it, and it was perfect. Now, I'd like to think that, um, okay, they removed a kidney. Good thing she's got two. But I think the prayers did something because it was cancerous. And then when they removed it, it was a perfectly good kidney. But, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes we don't trust God, not because he can't be trusted, but because we project our own untrustworthy condition onto him. It's us who are unfaithful. It's, we are the ones who are shaking all over the place. And we think God is like that. You know what? We think God does things if he's in a good mood. I, I know I've felt that. God, are you angry with me? God doesn't operate like that, so I need to stop touching that. Elizabeth and Zechariah, despite their pain, they held on to the promises in Scripture of what God had said, what God said, God said he was, and God said he would do. In Isaiah 43, God says, I have redeemed you. 
I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I reckon Elizabeth held on to stuff like that. She just told herself over and over, you said that you've redeemed me. You said that I will not be burnt up. I will not drown. The waters will not sweep over me. I'm holding on to that. In verse 13, Gabriel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call him John. You know, I've wondered about that prayer. Of course, they prayed for a baby. For years, they prayed for a baby. But I think this was a bigger prayer. I think that Zechariah was praying for the fulfillment of the promises. He would have been praying for the bigger picture, the kingdom. Lord, you promise that we will be a light to the Gentiles. You promise that we will be a light to the nations. Out of us, the Messiah is coming. You've promised it. I think he would have moved on. He would have said, Lord, I want a baby, but I want more than that. The son they were given was not just any ordinary boy. Elizabeth did become pregnant. It was a miracle. So we reckon that old in, for that generation was around 60, which in this generation, thankfully, it's not old. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> We're living much longer. We know a lot more about healthy eating and medicine has made incredible advances. So they would have been probably the equivalent of 80, 90 for the time. And they had a baby. This was not just any ordinary boy, yeah? Yes, he gave them much joy and delight, but he was the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 400 years long bridge, this baby boy who became John the Baptist. He was incredibly influential. He had his own ministry. He had his own disciples and, and followers, and he turned the hearts. What does it say? In verse 17, he will go on before the Lord. He was preparing the way. And in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's who their son was going to be. In verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you, but not just to them as mum and dad. And many will rejoice because of his birth, I think they were chosen for this mission. Now, if they'd had their baby at the time, which would have been normal according to their age, God's plan was not ready. They were chosen because God could rely on them. They had remained faithful in the darkness, in the dark times. You know, Matthew 24 does tell us that there will be, there will be troubled times. We are not to be ignorant of these things, but we are not to be anxious. Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry, there will be wars, rumours of wars. There will be famines and earthquakes, persecution. People will lose love for one another. There will be just general unkindness. And yet, it won't be the end yet. The end will come when the gospel of the kingdom is preached all over the world. So we need to preach the gospel in the little tiny portion of the kingdom where we've been positioned, where we live and where we 
where we minister. How are we to live through this dark time? Well, corporately, as a body, as a family, we need to live as if we're going to be here for another thousand years, yeah? Taking care of one another, looking out for the poor, the needy, showing love to those in need, to a broken world, being good stewards of the planet. We need to do that. Live as if we're going to be here forever and yet ready to meet him at any moment. That'd be so good. How do we live for him personally? Well, we need to be rooted on the promises of who God has said he is and what God has said he will do. That is not a kind of hope that's kind of wishful thinking. That is a certain hope, a blessed hope. And what has God asked us to do? In Micah 6.8, he tells us, he tells us to act justly, do what's right according to his word, according to his will, do what's right. Love mercy, show love, especially to those that are hard to love. Show them that they are precious and worth it. Walk humbly with God, stay close to him, commune with him, seek him, hold on to him and be humble in his presence, knowing just how dependent we are on him. God is not silent in the way we understand him to be. A thousand years for us is like a day for God. God is patient. Last year, Marco, my husband, became very ill and I couldn't make sense of it. And I, I couldn't feel God. It was a scary time. I couldn't feel him. I couldn't hear him. You know, if I, if I press into God, usually I get my peace. Nothing. Day after day after day, there was no peace. We didn't know what this was. We didn't know if this was... Well, first it might have been, we thought maybe it's COVID because he had a really bad cough, but it wasn't COVID. Then we thought it was lung cancer. Marco's had cancer twice. It wasn't lung cancer. Hallelujah. That was a moment of joy. That was a moment of peace. But the thing didn't go away. It got worse and worse. I took him to A&E one morning. Not now, I couldn't stay. Remember how it was last year? I don't know how it is now, but couldn't stay. All I could do was drop him off. Nearly had to carry him. You can imagine the scene. He could barely walk. And they found him to have a very serious heart condition, heart failure. 50% of his heart badly, badly damaged. Only 17% function in that part of his heart. Didn't make sense. Hasn't he been through enough? He's had cancer twice and he really looks after himself. He really does. He eats well. He's never smoked. He, you know, he, he rides his, he exercises. He was playing rugby, rides his bike. He's really careful just felt so unfair, so unfair. But thank you, Lord, that it's been found as well. You know? Thank you for the doctors who could find it and can deal with it. And he's been working extra hard now. If he was already healthy, now, oh my goodness. He's eating really, really well and his heart function is improving. Recently, he was told by one um, cardiologist where there's nothing you can do really you're going to need a quadruple bypass and that's it that's all we can do yeah so that's it it left Marco kind of shell-shocked what but my heart's improving I know I can do that and I, I and he feels really at peace he feels at peace that God is going to work a miracle and I've been praying Lord give him a new heart 
in every possible way. We, let's pray these big prayers. When, when things come up, give him a new heart. And so Marco's just determined, no, I'm not doing it. I know, I feel God in all of this. So he saw another cardiologist and he told it, um, this, uh, she was a lady one, wasn't she? Oh, much nicer. <laughs> a bit kinder. I bet she was a mum. <laughs> um, no, dads, I'm just kidding. That's just silly. Um, and she was just, she said, okay, yeah, you want to do this just by, through diet and through um, healthy living and that. Let's give it a go. She was all up encouraging him because she could see the improvement. His heart's improved. It's gone up to 30%. He's got to get to over 40. So thank you for your prayers. Let's continue to, let's see this miracle in our, in our family, in our own church family. And then he saw um, a surgeon because this cardiologist, she said, I'd like you to get an opinion from the surgeon. The surgeon was probably more measured. He said, it's risky what you're doing because ultimately the surgeon can't see what he's eating and what he's doing, you know. So he says, it's risky, but we're prepared to do this. So, you know, we're just going to trust God in those dark moments. Trust him with everything we've got. You know, Jesus came to a struggling, broken world and brought a message of hope that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is our hope. And he will carry us through. He will, he, will, he will get us through those dark times. I just want to read that passage again from Isaiah 43, where he says, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There will be moments where you feel like drowning, but he is with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. You know, moments when you're bombarded with bad stuff, but he is carrying you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who went into the fiery furnace facing certain death. And they came out and didn't even smell of smoke because God was with them. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. He has come to save us, set us free, give us a hope, give us a future, give us an abundant life. And as we approach Easter, let's be reminded why he came. Yeah. He didn't just come as a good teacher to show us how to live. He came to set us free from the consequences of sin, certain death. Just want to pray for us now. Pray for anyone who has lost hope or a little bit of hope, you know, facing some really tough stuff. It could be situations with work. It could be situations with your children. You know what it is and God definitely knows what it is. And just ask that God will ah, restore your hope once again. Father God, we thank you that you have redeemed us by sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that it is your purpose for us to give us a hope and a future. Not a hope that's just a wishful thinking, but it is certain. When we're shaking and falling about, may we be reminded of who we are in you and what you have said. Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
Lord, we thank you that your goodness and your mercy will not let go of us. It runs after us all the days of our life. And our joy is to dwell in your house. Your house is not a physical building, but it is a place where you are king. I just pray that you will be king over our lives. That we will submit to you daily. Bringing before you our trials and our struggles. Bringing our health before you, our families, our finances, our jobs and trusting you. Trusting, knowing that you are faithful. Remind us, Holy Spirit, when we fail. Can I invite Hastings and Shayan to come back? We just thank you, Father, that in your kingdom there is life. Life eternal. Jesus said it, the kingdom of heaven is here. I have come to give sight to the blind, set the captives free, proclaim the day of the Lord's favour. He is king and his kingdom has started here on earth. And may we be ambassadors that bring nothing but glory and honour to his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.